Enter now the age of apocalypse, Shiga, with your hosts, Dayspring and Scott Free. The name's Cable. Remember it. And the only people who can stop apocalypse are the mutants known as Dayspring, Scott Free, and Michelle. This is Captain America, and we need to defeat apocalypse. Welcome to Power of X-Men Apocalypse, the podcast where we discuss every single issue of the classic reality-warping, high-octane X-Men crossover event known as Age of Apocalypse. I am your host, the one who believes that Nate Gray is in fact the second coming of Jesus, Dayspring! And I am Azaziel when he shaves, Mr. Scott Free. (laughs) That's hysterical. I have feels about Nightcrawler's father in the issues we're going to discuss today as as do i uh see my my cheesy tagline ties in nicely to look at that story i love how you actually really were able to bring one that was witty i mean all of your like witty one-liners always land so thank you (laughs) i I try that's why i come up with them but yeah no it's like finally fall uh not sweating like a bitch it's great you order pumpkin spice lattes I, I I can't do it. Like I can't. Can I tell you something? The other morning, I first of all, I've always been anti PSLs. But the other morning, they opened up this new coffee shop in my neighborhood, and they had cold brew infused with pumpkin. And it was kind of like a couple of mornings ago. It was kind of like a crisp fall morning. And I mean, I've I've made no secret that I've been sort of depressed lately. And I was like, you know what? I want to partake in like cultural happiness so let me order this pumpkin spiced flavored cold brew from my local coffee shop and it was fucking delicious i have to tell you i had it with a splash of oat milk and i put like one packet of sugar in it and i walked out and it must have been like eight in the morning and i was like "Mm, this is a fucking vibe so i may be converted when it comes to pumpkin flavor coffee i'm happy for you like you know (laughs) It's 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 the little things in life. It like you know, it's the little things that get you going. I'm a big fan of pumpkin beer, so like I can't judge anyone for like pumpkin spice like lattes, um, except for the fact that there's usually like nine percent alcohol in what I'm drinking versus and mine is like ninety percent sugar. Yeah, <laughs> when so. you mix in the syrup, the the milk, and the and the sugar packets, because I lied to you just now, I did not just put one. I put like three packets of sugar in it, but I digress. I mean, if you just pour them all at once, it's one packet. It's in one so, packet. Yeah, that's how it works. <laughs> well, speaking of basic bitches, no, that's not a good transition. Damn it, fuck. Anyways, I wanted to bring up the fact. That in today's episode, we're going to be dis- we're going to be discussing Excalibur, Age of Apocalypse, Excalibur yes. issues one through four, which center on Raven and Nightcrawler. Yes. And Hasbro has officially put up for pre-order animated series Mystique with Bebe Nightcrawler. Yeah. Um, at home, you can now yeet baby Kurt off the cliff, off your bookshelves. <laughs> whatever just you know go you know 
Mystique out there shooting layups. It's it's great. Like I I I haven't ordered all of the um like the the VHS box Marvel Legends, but Mystique was a definite and early pre-order because I just, I love that whole scene. Uh, it's so ridiculous and like over the top and can't beat it. Well, I mean, the scene in 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 particular from the animated series, which for me is one of the most heartbreaking, beautiful scenes ever. In, on top of being ridiculous, over the top, and campy, is of course her holding baby Nightcrawler, looking down, and she like hurls him off. <laughs> but later on in the in the episode, when she's talking to Kurt about faith and god and who's you know susceptible to god's love you know it kind of when she gets shot and she has a flashback to her throwing baby nightcrawler off the cliff but it zooms in on her eyes and she's crying while doing so listen it does not absolve mystique from hurling her baby off a fucking cliff yeah but i appreciate the character development there yeah you know you see that she does feel something for again throwing her child uh off of a cliff i mean most parents would just be like listen this is a bad idea i'm just not gonna do it i mean she still sticks to it though but she felt bad doing it and you know major props to you raven like that's a lot more emotion that i thought you were capable of having yeah yeah you think destiny could have warned her at some point about the you know sleeping with mutant satan and then having a devil baby but then we wouldn't have nightcrawler so you know, mm-hmm. it's I, I listen, I agree with you. And I'm trying to remember what like the original story was. And this is just going based off of memory. So folks at home, if I'm if I'm horribly off, please, you know, spare me the DMs. But I think right, the original plan was that Mystique would shapeshift into a man and have sex with Destiny and impregnate her with Nightcrawler. That was sort of like the original idea for the parentage of of baby kirk um it's very different here in age of apocalypse i have feels on it i think they they do answer who kirk's dad is here but we can discuss that as we go through the issues but yeah i think we're we're about a year since we announced we were doing age of apocalypse and i think going issue by issue was kind of ridiculous for everyone's schedules but i think we did all every issue of legion quests one yes. by one. And I thought that deserved it to be very thorough. And we did X-Men Alpha and Amazing X-Men. We we broke that down. And that's sort of where everything now splinters off into its own series. And they're very segregated series. So I feel like us discussing Excalibur's issue one through four is very... And I have feels on it. I have a lot of feels on it. I think it's it's a good way to, to handle... The rest of Age of Apocalypse going, so we'll do Excalibur, we'll do um, Generation Next, uh, Gambit the Externals, so on. You know, I'm dying for Gambit and the Externals. You you love yourself some dirty cages, (laughs) (laughs) but Um, I no, but I think so. The series definitely, I think, four issues too much. These are just my initial general feels. I think four issues, way too many. I think this could have easily been done in like two, maybe three issues. But 
you know, the writer for this is Warren Ellis. He writes all four issues. And we have Ken Lashley doing the art for issues one, three, and four, with Roger Cruz coming in at issue two. Yeah. Um, Ellis is like an interesting writer for this. And I wonder how it was edited because um, a couple of the characters who, for one thing that's stuck out for me, a couple of the characters use uh, like Britishisms that Americans don't say and it's just like like one of the characters is supposed to be from detroit and they mention repeatedly that's just from detroit and she says something like like bugger and i'm just like i i have i have first of all i've never met an american who says that. i've never met somebody from detroit who says like bugger off or whatever so like okay I listen, switch back. I was kind of taken aback with. I noted that she was from Detroit. Oh my God, because something else I was reading this week or something else I saw this week um, dealt with the character from Detroit. Was it in the X books? Was it in Judgment Day? Were they in Detroit in Judgment Day? I don't remember. But I thought, I thought Switchback was a really interesting character. She has no, no 616 counterpart but i agree with you on the editing and sort of the characters they use and what sort of the ultimate purpose was it's it's easy to play for me monday morning quarterback is that however that expression goes that that is but you know when i think of this book because there was so much focus on mystique and irene in legion of quest and legion quest legion quest i I kind of, I, I was very unsatisfied with how that kind of ended. And even here, I'm kind of like, well, was there a larger thing to say? But that's that's a long-winded way of saying, though, that I think Warren Ellis did a great job. And Warren Ellis yep. eventually would eventually go on to write Astonishing X-Men Volume 1, 2, 3. I can't it's, remember. I think it's three. It's three, yeah, because we have this Astonishing X-Men in Age of Apocalypse. We have the Astonishing X-Men leading up to the 12 and then we have the the weed and one that kicks off but yeah warren ellis does eventually latch onto that and then it gets rebooted again with marjorie lou i I believe and some other people but um yeah i listen i i think the writing is solid but you know we we can discuss it in in great detail let me give a general premise, which is, in order to verify Bishop's story of this other world, Magneto sends Nightcrawler in search of the mutant precog Destiny, who is hiding out in the mutant sanctuary Avalon. Nightcrawler must journey on the submarine called Excalibur, captained by Callisto, all the while they're being pursued by Apocalypse's Pale Riders, Dead Man Wade, Danny Moonstar, and Damask, and dot dot dot, Shadow King! Exclamation point! I'm like biased. Uh, Age of Apocalypse Kurt is one of my favorite is my my favorite Age of Apocalypse character. He's also just one of my favorite X characters in general. And this is essentially four books of like Kurt and like his mommy issues. Um, so like I I really enjoy Excalibur. Um, I the the Avalon stuff is interesting with like the Savage Land, particularly at like this point in like '90s X Men history where Avalon is like a thing with like Magneto's with like the satellite and Exodus 
and all of that. And it's, it's interesting to see it like reskinned here. It's interesting to see, we'll get into as we go through it, some characters in like very different roles, like Juggernaut or um, even Doug. Uh, well, and who Doug's Doug is very dead at this point. I mean, I know we have Doug Locke running around, but yeah. you know, that's not really him. Doug is very dead. I like what you said about like the reimagining um the you know Avalon and Savage Land because editorially speaking, they sort of serve the same purpose, which is they are mutant havens. So it makes sense that Avalon would be housed in the Savage Land from, from an editorial standpoint. Obviously, in the comics, they're very different locations with different purposes uh, in servicing the stories. But like, I can understand if you're kind of looking at X-Men history and you're looking to revise things and streamline them for an alternate universe. Yeah, Avalon would be here in uh, in the Savage Land. And I love it that I think it's a very epic Tolkien-esque journey that Alice is trying to do here, which is like, for lack of a better term here, you know, like Nightcrawler is a boy on the farm who now must journey to this faraway land and find this precog to verify the stories of this madman and set the world right. I, I think it's a very epic story in general. I think the execution is a bit uh, smaller in, in scope it's not to say that it's not well written though I, I i definitely want to say it's it's not that's not well written but i am curious what the editorial process was for for warren ellis and 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 the edit team when they were kind of putting this book together because it is destiny is sort of like that person who verifies that bishop is right and that they're going to do what they need to do in order to to set the world right but it's also kind of futile too, because Magneto's still going ahead with his plans. Yeah, um, I mean, regardless if Dusty, if Dusty would have been like, uh, "By the way, uh, this man is just lying to you," um, so Bishop is like a crazy man. And what's Magneto going to say? Oh fuck! Here comes Remy with the Emkron crystal, <laughs> like, and we're about to save Ria. Like, this is kind of a formality. This is almost like just checking off a box because Magneto's still doing what he's going to do, whether Destiny verifies it or not. Yeah, he's he's set stuff in motion that you kind of can't undo. If like you know, she's just like, oh yeah, hey, by the way, like he's not legit. Like Magneto can't just like call up Remy and be like, oh yeah, don't steal the crystal that you know you've already stolen. Or can uh, you imagine if Colossus comes back and he's like, all right, so I saved my sister. My entire team is now dead. Yeah. And Magneto's like, sorry about that. So turns out Bishop was just a liar. So sorry about your team that you let die. Yeah. Whoops. Uh, take a week off. Take yeah. a week off. Here, take some PTO. You'll be good. Um, it, it's... It is interesting with like characters who are dead in the books at this time. Like Destiny is dead. Destiny dies in the Legion kills her in like the mid eighties. Um, so she's been dead for almost ten years at this point, and doesn't really return until um, currently, like Krakoa. So there's a lot of room to do stuff with like Destiny in this book, and she's just kind of like there like blind old lady and like who somehow adopted Doug and then you know all that 
Yeah, well, it's it. I, I like what you said because I do agree with that. She's kind of like this, like crone, who you know you you sort of go to because she's all seen, all all powerful. But they, again, they don't they don't realize her full potential because Age of Apocalypse begins because Legion is having visions of destiny. Yes. So you would think that thread will kind of come into play here with her, or at least Irene being able, because I think it's implied here when Irene is like, if I help Magneto, I'm going to be losing everything I've, I've ever worked for. And she's right because she and her stepson will be dead. Avalon would not exist. Her entire life's work is erase, which by the way is a plot point in Krakoa. Why they don't want Moira to die is because everything they've accomplished will get reset so I understand yeah. Irene's perspective here. She should have played a larger part in this in this story, given how much seeds were planted with her. And her role is very small here. And spoilers for when we get to X-Men Omega, she just sort of shows up there and she's like, oh, my God, this is right. He's real. You know, he's telling the truth. And that's it. It's her. You know, I won't spoil the ending, but, you know, it's kind of like, yeah, I agree with you. I think that's a very fair thing. Like, she should have had a little bit more of a major role here. She should have foreseen them coming and been like, yeah, my bags are packed. Let's go. You know? Yeah. Um, and, you know, I mean, the implication is also that she, like, she would have had the relationship with Mystique in this reality. Is you know, Apocalypse comes to power or wake, wakes up 20 years earlier in this timeline. Um, Irene and um, Mystique have known each other since the end of the 19th century. So unless that was different as well, like these are two characters who knew each other very well um, in the biblical sense. And like, they don't really have much interaction in this either. And like, I know it, it's, it's a plot point that Mystique is very reluctant to go to Avalon because she feels she hasn't like earned it. I feel like there's more room to expand upon like that, but this is also the era where they don't explicitly say that like they're a lesbian couple. Yeah. This is mommy's roommate. <laughs> you know, yeah. Like... Yeah. M- mommy's um, roommate irene mommy's roommate irene which is the name of her memoir yeah i agree and that's a really valid point because they they know we know in extreme x-men it is very well established that irene and you know irene and mystique meet at the turn of the century i believe and so even though apocalypse awakens 20 years earlier it's still well after the meeting and you don't they don't have that rapport here yeah. And and they're written very coldly. I mean, they might as well. It, Irene and Mystique can might as well be anyone in, in terms of their dialogues. There's nothing really special there. But you know, I'm okay with them not having the relationship. You know, per se. And I get it that in the '90s, it's sort of this: are they or are they not? You know. But I don't think the characters would be absolved of having a very unique bond, given what they did with Legion Quest. So, you know. 90s problems aside, I think they they should be sort of on the same page, like really good best friends that sort of know what each other's thinking. You know, when like you're in the same sync with like a friend and stuff like that, like that's how they should be. So I was very disappointed with that. I think that's that's fair. And I, and by the way, I, I really like Mystique in this. So sidebar. This is probably the most altruistic Mystique that you get 
in the various like multiverses. Uh, and then the counter is this is actually the worst Kurt, um, excluding like you know, there's like Nazi Kurt from like Excalibur, <laughs> and like that's yeah, that's that's probably the worst, but like this is like the worst, like good guy Kurt that you get, and conversely, like Mystique is actually not like terrible, um, relative to like 616 Mystique, who is very terrible. So for folks at home, before we dive deep into our feels about Nightcrawler, Mystique in the series, she it, it kicks off with her talking to Magneto and Magneto wanting to make sure that Raven's going to help her son get to Avalon. And Mystique is very contentious in the Age of Apocalypse because she is ushering refugees from Apocalypse's, you know, dominant reign over to the sanctuary of Avalon. But the rumors that she steals everything that people have and dumps them in the Arctic Ocean. There are rumors that she it's a hefty price that is paid in order to get there. But ultimately, we find out that Mystique is guiding people there. She has the best of intentions to the point that she doesn't even feel that she's worthy enough to enter Avalon. And and that's very, and I agree with you. I mean, I, I feel that is very altruistic. It, it is definitely a very fleshed out nuance for the character. And it doesn't, is it implied that she did raise baby Kurt here? She definitely didn't hurl him off a, a waterfall uh, here. Yeah, there, there's implications that they she at least like partly raised him because this this Kurt is um it's not Kurt Wagner he goes by Kurt Darkholm mm-hmm. in um since the 295 the, the Age of Apocalypse is universe 295 or Earth 295 so in this in this universe he is Kurt Darkholm um so he has a much stronger connection to um to Mystique. And she's she is like aghast when he questions her if like oh do you steal from like the refugees do you like abandon them and I think she slaps him. Oh, I'd have to go back and look but like whereas Callisto is the one who's actually doing the stuff that Mystique is accused of no problem dropping them and murdering them in the middle of the ocean much to Kirk's horror and. I mean, listen. This is why we love Callisto in the '90s. She's bad. She's a bad bitch, Joan Jett impersonator, and she will f you up. So here's the thing to to close out Mystique. Here's the thing that I picked up on when we were reading along, and I'm curious if you did too. And this is what I just read on UncannyXMen.net, which is when her and Kirk finally meet up. She says something like, oh, and I picked a father for you with very specific, you know, like fur jeans and stuff like that or whatever she says. She, you know, she implies that because Nightcrawler has that fur, it was because of her dad. And he goes, yeah, and what a father you picked for me. So at this point, I don't think Kurt knew who his real dad was in the comics. He certainly did not know who his real dad was in the comics of the 616. And then later on, when Shadow King possesses Mystique, an image of Sabretooth comes out and so i thought the implication here is that Sabretooth is nightcrawler's father i didn't i didn't get the implication that it was Sabretooth, but i can see that now because it does change 
into Sabretooth. And obviously in the 616, they do have, um, you know, Sabretooth and Mystique did get together at one point. They have uh, Graydon Creed, who's terrible. (laughs) To say the least. To say the least. Um, And then, yeah. um, But I, I can actually, I can see that as like one possibility i i just read it as kind of like like vague like they weren't actually going to say like who is father i i just think of it from like warren ellis's perspective because i think warren ellis is actually a very good writer so if if editorially someone's coming to him and they and they're saying you have four issues to write something and he's going to tell a story beginning middle and end and he's going to drop a hint purposely i mean that 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 scene of them talking about his father is in your face like there's not it's not like a coy off the cuff mention like they specifically talk about dad and nightcrawler's aware of who his dad is and then later on as in the final issue you know we get that we 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 get aoa saber tooth so that's where i'm kind of coming at it from from that perspective we'd have to talk to warren ellis who's always invited on this podcast to uh to help confirm it but uncannyxmen.net does mention it in their bio here they say Strangely, there were also hints that Sabretooth was his father. I don't know about plural hints. I just one hint there. Yeah, and some of my like biases is are formed. I know by like being a big fan of this character and then reading like the later material that he's in. So like in the 2012 Age of Apocalypse series, like Azazel. 295 Azazel is introduced and then they establish that even in the Age of Apocalypse reality like Azazel and Mystique did the nasty and that's how you get Kurt but you know obviously this is years before Chuck Austin creates Azazel so that's all just like retcons but like in this context with like Azazel not existing yet Sabretooth actually does kind of make sense as a possibility because like of the two prominent characters who are like furry, uh, who aren't Kurt in the Age of Apocalypse. It's either Sabretooth or Dark Beast. And Dark Beast doesn't work timeline-wise. And she clearly has a relationship with um, Sabretooth. It's, listen, and, and, and when Age of Apocalypse Kurt comes back later on, especially in Uncanny X-Force, I mean, he plays like a major role because 616 Kurt is dead at the time and they sort of shepherd him over. And then I guess he dies during, what was that crossover? I I've barely read it. Extermination, I believe it's when like all of the different, like they, they had an extreme X-Men head by Dazzler. They had age of apocalypse gene there and they were all like this big messy little crossover and, and like the, i think that's the where celestial, he does. yeah and he closes like the celestial gate yeah. or something an interesting thing with age of apocalypse kurt especially when you compare him to uh sort of claremont era kurt or kurt in the 90s or later um they always work in like german in his dialogue like you know, you read Claremont stuff or just anything with Nightcrawler. He's always doing, you know, the Gottenheimels and Verdaming and stuff. It's like, um, this Kurt does not use in any of the Age of Apocalypse stuff uh, German. Um, and it, like, if you're reading this text, 
there's no none of the goofy sort of um hogan's heroes type german that they give uh kurt under like claremont he only speaks english um and i don't know if that is intentional if that's just warren ellis not doing that or if this is because kurt was raised by mystique mystique has a neutral like shapeshiftery kind of accent and kurt as a result doesn't have a german accent he has mystique sort of like generic vaguely european but not a uh, sort of accent i really like that i'm trying i'm looking up online his uh age of apocalypse you know kurt dark holmes uh bio here and i want to know how he was raised because I agree with you. Is it deliberate? That that I didn't notice that initially, but now I'm curious. Was it deliberate to show that like he grew up maybe closer with Mystique and she took him out of Germany instead of him staying behind and being raised by the circus and stuff like that? Yeah. Did she bring him over to North America because Apocalypse was rising and all that stuff and she wanted her baby next to her? I find that really interesting. And I can't believe, I'm trying to see, I don't, it definitely wasn't answered in Uncanny X-Force. The thing about Age of Apocalypse that I find so hard to keep track of is all the retcons that they do yeah. over and over again when there's an anniversary and all the spinoffs. But we do know he joined Magneto pretty early on, earlier than what I would assume his 616 counterpart. You know Whether that's true or not, You know, again, listeners, you can DM us. But I'm curious. I, I am curious about that. Because when he when he shows up later in Uncanny X Force and other stuff, they do give him a German accent, and I wonder if that is just because that's what main Kurt has. So obviously, alternative Kurt has to also have that. But in a, in the actual Age of Apocalypse, he's not definitively um, German. I think you may be the only person who's actually pulled this <laughs> fact up to the surface. There we go. And that is why this is why we do what we do here. But I agree with you. I mean, that's a nuance I would have noticed had it been of our God Queen Jean Grey. I mean, I have questions if she grew up in upstate New York in this one, you know, and the yeah. weather and age of apocalypse. Don't even get me started on that. But it's, it's important. It is important. Well, here's the thing. And this is why I, I love that you noticed that this is going to be my answer. What I think. I think it was deliberate, and I just don't think later writers like Rick Remender, who I really do like Rick Remender, it's not a rag on him, just never noticed that or was not given that note. Or that note that, you know, Age of Apocalypse, Kurt did not grow up in Germany, was just never, you know, housed and given to future writers. And I think that Ellis is a smart enough writer that that was deliberate. I think yeah. Age of Apocalypse was well thought, regardless of anyone's feels on the Age of Apocalypse. There's no doubt it was well thought out and that they yeah. were trying to be as in sync as they can be on everything here. So, yeah, it makes sense to me that they would be like, OK, well, if he has a different relationship with his mom here, then he would have grown up closer to her, meaning Mystique would have left, you know, Germany after he was born. And instead of hurling him off the cliff, took him with her. And I... You know, it, it reminds me of uh, you. Did you play Breath of the Wild for Zelda? Yeah. So if you read the Hyrule Companion, that that's for or what is it? Oh, what's what's the fuck? What the the creating a champion, the champion's guide, the the big 
Dark Horse book, it's right there, that they released for Breath of the Wild, where they sort of explain the developer's and the producer's idea of Hyrule, a lot of the game, and it's never said in the game, but a lot of where like the settlements are and where people are most congregated had to do with the migration patterns after the Great Calamity happened. So that's what I'm thinking here. Like the 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 writers and edit, editors thought, where would Kurt and Mystique be right here? And we may not be able to mention all of this history here, but it was well thought out and put here, much like how they did in in Breath of the Wild. Completely. It, it's the, the the calamity in this case, Apocalypse Rising, and you know, her not abandoning Kurt and other stuff does force difference. I mean, a, a related thing is like Kurt is famous, 616 Kurt is famously like the soul of the X-Men, the conscience of the X-Men, to the point of he's on the council in Krakoa as like the sort of like the conscience, even on like the um the summer summer seat like you know him originally him gene and um storm. storm and now him colossus and storm like he's the most moral out of even the moral people in that section and part of that's his catholicism he's very strong he's a man of faith he was a priest kind of but we don't talk about the draco and um like Kurt, is, it, it forms a very strong part of his life, his faith, and his moral core. And this Kurt, by contrast, um, is very anti-religious. He tells um, Thunderbird, John Proudstar in the, the sort of the temple where they're doing like the ghost dance, he, he basically sort of mocks their faith and is like, I, I have no like truck with, with any of this. And it's, it's a much more like nihilistic worldview than like sunny optimistic Kurt who has his like faith at his core. Yeah, well he had to grow up with Mystique as his mom in this one. And yeah. he was here like, oh shit, the world sucks. But I yeah, and that and that parallel obviously is extremely deliberate on the end of Warren Ellis and, and, and throwing in that line that he doesn't like church, he doesn't like religion, and he doesn't like that sort of um that congregation. It was it was great to see John Proudstar here because John Proudstar up until the Krakoan age is a character that remains very dead. I mean, yes. he would come back in Chaos Wars, I believe it's called, with Destiny, with Moira, with Banshee. But for the most part, this character remained dead, and it makes sense they would be there. And you know, I have mixed feelings about his appearance here. He's kind of like a hard ass. He's here, like you know, we do this ghost dance because we were praying for Apocalypse to die. So it's, I, I don't know. He, I guess, John is one of those characters that is portrayed to be very angry. But I yeah. wish he would have played a larger part in this story than just sort of be, you know, this one-off like angry cliche character and i mean the fact that he, it, it's the 90s it, again narratives were constructed differently it's it's easy now with the 2022 sensibility to slap it on here but at the time the the big thing was that proud star is alive in the age of apocalypse yeah and i i think that's i mean you can read his appearance a bunch of different ways i think i mean at its core it's supposed to be the shock value of the appearance of his character who is you know to be blunt 
um, was most famous for being the first X-Men who died and stayed dead until last year. Uh, yeah. was, was, was it this year even or well, whatever no, last this... year because he, his protocols for whatever reason weren't backed up so it was only until wanda you know did the the, right. the the waiting room the mutant waiting room i still don't understand oh because petra and the, uh, yeah well pet yeah they were the constructs of vulcan so okay there we go. yeah yeah no, i'm sorry uh, it's retcons and- upon retcons upon retcons Mountains of retcons, and also yeah. Sinister had stolen his DNA. DNA, which, and that's how he has his mutant abilities. Yeah, his mutant but yeah, you know, in, in, in this era, in, is war. I mean, Warpath is obviously around throughout this whole era, and so much of um, Warpath's character is formed by the shadow of his brother, and like early Warpath is sort of has this chip on his shoulder of his brother's like legacy and his brother and all this and like it's a real sort of like mind fuck to then see thunderbird alive in this reality um who's very like angry and nihilistic and um like less of an inspiring yeah figure well and this is supposed to be I mean, again, for readers at the time, which I was one of them, it, it it's through the looking glass, yeah. right? It, it, this is exactly, you know, another look at these characters and flipping it upside down. And, you know, I get it. I mean, a lot of the 90s comics are style over substance, which I which I love. I think I think some comic books can benefit by having a lot of good style. And Age of Apocalypse is a lot of good style and having Proudstar, Thunderbird there is you know putting us as readers like as you were saying we're jarred because warpath is on x-force um when these books are 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 sort of rolling out and the fact that his brother is alive like whoa you know yeah um and it's the same thing with like danny um danny in a similar fashion to like 616 kurt 616 danny is often like the moral heart of the new mutant era of of the new mutants and like she's you know she's she's very moral she's almost like a a mother or older sister figure to a lot of characters and then in the age of apocalypse to have her be like she's the traitor she's the one who um sells out uh excalibur and thunderbirds uh church and like she has no qualms about doing that yeah and it's and she dies very very quickly at the hands of damask and i i was i don't know how i feel about danny's i mean danny in in this book is sort of a my opinion blink and you'll miss it sort of sort of plot like i get it why they had her there and you know we have dead man wade who's obviously more of a plot device than, than anything else, just more to show like, ooh, here we have this character here. But I agree with you. I mean, this is supposed to show this nature versus nurture argument. And, 
you know, I think we see it with the Summers brothers. I think, you know, with Danny, we sort of see that in this reality, she's a bit harsh and she is not the Danny we know and that all bets are off with the character like this. And yeah, I think a character like Danny was very beloved. I'm staring at her right now, my Marvel Universe poster with her, you know, kind of like charging and looking all heroic versus what we're, you know, what we sort of read here. I, I, I was fine with it then. I'm fine with it now. You know, my only complaint about it is that we just don't get enough, you know, panel time with these characters like that. And the focus yeah. is very much Kurt and Raven, as it should be for the story. Um, was Danny, was this one, 616 Danny was a Valkyrie? Was she a Valkyrie? I don't remember. At, at this see. point, I, I think this, this might Valkyrie? have been. Danny Moonstar. Oh, she, she she definitely was. I just I some of the '90s stuff with the New Mutants. I cannot keep track of. But no, um, I I can't either. When did she join the Mutant Liberation Front? Was that that's how I sort of that's where I thought she was at here, because I think she's a Valkyrie during her New Mutants tenure, right? I. I don't know. To that's, be yeah, that's right. Towards the end of like the um, the classic uh, New Mutants run, she becomes yeah the stuff with Hella. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Because she she's on. Um, so this is like the X Force uh, sort of era, and then she's with yeah the uh, the Liberation Front stuff and blah blah blah. blah. Yeah. So um, Danny Danny during this era is going through a lot of question marks. Yeah, because the 94 Fleer Ultra card, we have a we have a Moonstar card where she's like, you know, in disguise. And so I think she she was infiltrating, you know, the Mutant yeah. Liberation Front and she was she was a dual agent, but readers didn't really know at the time and so it was all like this whole big question mark about everything. Um and it it's funny like she gets killed in this by Damask, um, who is ori an original Age of Apocalypse character first, and then we get the 616 version in main Excalibur afterwards, Emma Steed, with like the psychic like pairing knives. Um, not, not a great era for Excalibur, uh, the book. Um, but this is one of those things like um, the guy who fights Nate Gray, for example, I'm, I'm blanking on his name and I just Rex. listened to her. Rex. Yeah. Rex is a, a originally an Age of Apocalypse character who then comes in the 616. Damask is an Age of Apocalypse character who then shows up as, I think she's the Black Queen of the Hellfire Club. Um, and she does some stuff with her like psychic knife stuff and uh she pops back up again in um uh excalibur 96 six yeah she pops Which... up in mockingbird in the 2010s oh Not a great i love one. that yeah. oh and and she's she's created by or she's written by warren ellis in that in that issue of excalibur so you know like i appreciate that i appreciate that they took those characters from age of apocalypse and and we talked about this we've talked about this endlessly before that what was happening in the age of apocalypse like good sci-fi was supposed to be an analysis 
of relationships and characters also in the 616. Yeah. You know, like Know It All and Generation Next was intended to be, you know, the twins, you know, the yeah. St. Croix twins. And, and 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 sort of be a little hint to the puzzle with 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 M and why she would go into catatonic states. You know, a lot of this gets washed off because writers, you know, change, editorial changes. So a lot of it goes away. But I love like someone like Damask. Um, I like that 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 she exists. And I always want to say Damascus because of the road to Damascus and and you know the biblical implications with that, especially here. So I wonder if Damascus is sort of a name. I also want to say Demanda. Where every time I say her name, I just want to be like Demanda. But um, yeah, uh, D- Damascus is a kind of um, uh, like silk. It's a kind of like fabric and pattern. Um, so I, I I yeah I think it's I supposed to be like the sort of like the sensual like tits out kind of nineties, like she'll seduce you and then like stab you with like her, her psychic knife. Um, really, really deep cut. And this is how, you know, the books written by a British man of a certain age. Uh, her name is Emma Steed. Uh, oh, a, I know where you're going with this. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the British Avengers, the, the show in the sixties, um, Emma Peel and John Steed and Ellis like took their two names and put them together. And it's like, Oh, okay. Yeah. I get it. You're like, did you, did you watch the reboot with Uma Thurman? Yeah. We don't talk about that. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. No, I, I, and I appreciated that. And I thought she was a really great character. The character I liked a lot was switchback. Yes. I thought she, Oh my God. Like, and and like this is how you know it's a Warren Ellis comic book because it gets really into the nuts nuts and bolts of the world building and like the powers and how they sort of work out, and that's obviously like a huge plot point here because Shadow King, at home if you if you haven't read the issue yet, Shadow King is on is in the Savage Land is in Avalon and the way they want to defeat him is that they discover they they know because was it Mystique who said it or was it Damask. Who said that Apocalypse wants us to know about each other's powers and how they work? Yeah. So he, the Shadow King, occupies you know people's mind via this like plane dimension, psychic dimension that Kirk also like accesses when he teleports. So with Switchback, they who can her power is that you get ten more seconds, or she can go back ten seconds. It allows Kirk to have a lot more time. That is very convoluted. If I got that wrong, please feel free that, to that was, correct me. That was 100%. Um, is when D- Damas switch sides and after they kill, well, they, they behead Dead Man Wade and separate his head and his body. There's, it's obviously Deadpool and he can regenerate. Um, the Shadow King was in uh, Dead Man Wade. And then he jumps to there you go. random mutants in um, in Avalon, and Damas says, "Yeah, Apocalypse wanted us to know each other's weaknesses in case one of us decided to um, to flip." And Switchback has sort of like a weaker version of Tempo's like ability to manipulate time, and like you said, it's it's a very Warren Ellis like here's the nitty gritty of like temporal manipulation, and we're gonna go through like this it's shadow such- plane. It is such a Warren Ellis like approach to solving a problem, yeah. which is fine because I I do like Warren Ellis, but 
you know, I was just like, I, I've known the story since 1994 or five, whatever year this issue was written. I've read it several times. And only now when I'm discussing with you, was I able to really conceptualize the plot because we have to discuss it on this podcast. I, it, it's just so complicated that you're like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. But it's well thought out. I, you, yeah, I'm going to give the props there. It's, it's well thought out. Yeah. Um, the only other sort of like big character that we didn't touch on, I mean, obviously like Callisto shows up and she's kind of just basically a sleazier version of like 616 Callisto and then she dies, um, is Juggernaut or mm-hmm. Kane, um, who greets Switchback in the first issue um, as sort of like her guide to take her onwards to Avalon. And he, but he's become a nonviolent sort of like monk um which obviously is a big change from 616 juggernaut who is fueled by the you know the crimson bands of Ciderac and rage and resentment and all that um and it's like this is a a kane marco who is still bonded he still has the bands but he like you know has become very like zen and um controls everything and so it's like actually in this this world kind of like mystique is actually a better version is better than 616 mystique person this juggernaut is actually like a good guy (laughs) and with the way that things change in the age of apocalypse and then he has like a stroke because he won't fight and and he says charles when he dies he says charles he says his brother's name and i have to tell you i thought that was so well done because then you got magneto who doesn't shut up about charles you know but then you have this beautiful little scene with this character you know you don't know what's going on with him and or you know what relationship he he has if any to charles and then when he when he dies he's here like charles and i thought that was very lovely yeah and when he's guiding switchback through she mentions in like her narration that like he won't shut up about his dead brother oh there you go i missed that part of the narration yeah but no but but like it's supposed to be something that you just sort of like but i love that everyone is talking about charles apocalypse's diary and his citadel is like dear diary this guy charles xavier magneto won't shut up about xavier you know and then, and now you have uh kane here as well but i still think the way it was rendered though uh uh I, I still think it was beautifully done. Whereas with Magneto, I feel like it's you're beating over the head with it. We're like, we get it. Your 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 friend is dead, and he inspired your life. You're 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 beating over the head with it, and like even um, yeah, like for for Kane, like with Kane, it's I don't know if it's the implication that like after Charles dies, it's like a wake up call for him, and he's just like, oh shit, and then has you know goes down sort of this path with like aiding destiny and trying to build like a better um, world. And it's like, it's funny that Charles Xavier dying actually results in like better versions of some of these villains from like the 616, like Kane, Magneto, Mystique, Exodus. When Exodus eventually shows up, like he's not, terrible destiny is running like a hippie commune in antarctica it is a hippie commune in antarctica yes (laughs) Uh, 
They're all doing so, ayahuasca there. They're just living their best life as the world is ending. Yeah. And, and she's going to tell you that you're about to have a bad trip because she sees how this trip goes. So, but again, to, to what you said earlier in this, in this recording, I do feel she's underutilized. And I think that's sort of what makes me, I like it in the context of the story. Like, listen, when I read it, I read it now. I'm like, it's fine. It's only when you start thinking of what could have been done with, with Irene here and, you know, she obviously adopts Doug, and these are two characters that are dead. And spoilers, Doug dies in the same way as he Whoops. does in 616. Whoops, this poor, poor Doug. This poor, useless twin dying, dying the same way in every reality. And, you know, I, I think there was a lot there. I also think there was a lot with Doug that's never fully realized until we get into the utopian era and he's resurrected during the crochet i think that's where we really start to see doug's full potential as a character i can't hold it against warren ellis in, when he wrote this issue in the 90s obviously but yeah. i think those are two characters that i wish would have had more of a pronounced statement but i like what you said where charles dine actually brought out the best in some of these people who were atrocious in 616 and, you know, there are some people here that we see, like Danny, that just didn't benefit, had the benefit of his teachings that would make them better person. So, again, it's that through the looking glass situation. The The one character I wanted to bring up, though, and it's very minor. He has a very minor appearance early on, but it's Angel and and his and his nightclub. And, you know, he's there. I love that Warren here is an information broker. He owns a club. He just wants to party. You know, no one, no one wants to fuck with him. He, he he may have some shady under the table deals, but doesn't go anywhere. I love this character. I don't know if I've said that I want an Age of Apocalypse figure of him specifically, but I'll, I, I don't know. I, I think it's just the art. I I really, I liked him a lot in, in those couple panels that he was there. And I was like, I want a figure of him. Yeah, uh, the art's, the art's absolutely beautiful when he brawls with um, like Kurt and they both got like you know big 90s hair and like it's very dynamic and they're like rolling around on top of each other and um yeah i i was saying on uh, uh it was instagram today i was like i remember getting remember finding this issue in like long boxes when i was like around like 2000 and just like seeing the cover where it's like Kurt like on top of like Warren and they're like going and I was just like remember seeing this be like I am definitely not like some sort of I'm, I am not straight like I am something <laughs> I am something this issue is my gay awakening here <laughs> yeah I mean listen that's pretty it's it's a pretty hot like image there there's no there's no denying that. I mean, that hypersexualization is in your face. But, you know, Ken Lashley, I don't know what became of him, but he, I enjoyed his art here. And I think it was dynamic and it was fun and it was it was beautiful. And like the scene right here with at the beginning with Kirk just like man spreading in front of Angel and Angel looking like really like taken aback. It's beautiful and it's well done. And. And even the scene right here with Magneto and his pigtails talking to Raven on FaceTime. Yeah. I thought it was um, great. Looks wonderful. It, it was a great, I, yeah, I have no idea. No, wow, 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 have you here? Ked, Ashley. 
Lachey, sorry. What happened to him? Where, where, where did he go? Where did you go? Okay, Marvel Database. Let's see. He's done 157 covers, and there's 151 images. Where did you go? Oh, he did some X-Men Gold stuff. Oh, no. Th- this is other things I viewed. Forget it. Scratch that. Uh, it, it looks like he did... Um... Well, yeah, the Unlimited. He's he was on Giant. He was on Giant Size Thunderbird. He's on Venom, Lethal Protector, the two thousand two one. Um, okay, notable creations include Pete Wisdom, Yatu Savis, Yatu Savis, right there. Oh, Pete, I'm going to be honest with you. This is where I have cracks in my X Men foundation. I don't know too much about Pete Wisdom. To be very oh. transparent about that. I mean, I, for, I he was in the new Excalibur series that Chris Claremont wrote in like the early aughts. Obviously, he's appeared throughout, but I don't think I've read his formal introduction and have ever read a Wikipedia page on Pete Wisdom. Yeah, I I, I mostly know him from, yeah, from Excalibur and then he's in MI13 mm-hmm. and a couple of other books with like, the hot claws i mean his big thing is always been that like yes he's he's a mutant but he doesn't particularly like he doesn't want that to be like his defining um feature so like he's only popped up on krakoa like recently after he gets killed and then resurrected on krakoa and he's just like okay maybe you lads actually have like a good idea here um because i just got murdered by a bunch of like clan akaba like cultists or whatever um, yeah, Ken, Ken Lashley did uh, X-Men Gold 18, which is also a very erotically charged uh, oh, There, <laughs> There we go. Okay, so I wasn't wrong when I read Ken. I, when I read X-Men Gold. Yeah. Okay. Okay, yeah, yeah. good. Fair, fair, fair. Yeah, Pete, I, I, I like Pete Wisdom. Uh, he doesn't get enough um, coverage, and a lot of people disliked him because like, he dated Kitty in between, of course, if your like, name is Peter or Pete, like Kitty Pride is gonna hit you up. She's gonna hit you. <laughs> she's gonna slide into your DMs. Ken Lashley created Pete Wisdom. There you go, circling back. And so the issue ends with this newly formed team called Excalibur Gasp, hence the name of the series, and Destiny being upset that Doug has died is now ready to go face Apocalypse, and we'll journey back with Kurt. I don't remember if Raven is there in X-Men Omega, but let's presume Mystique she, as well. I think she is. She, she is. is at the end. And uh, so they will they will go now and, and face Apocalypse, and she will verify the the stranger's story, which is Bishop. Doug's death is horrible. Doug's death was so actually kind of like funny because it's anticlimactic. And nobody's really too like like yeah, Destiny's obviously like worked up. Everybody else was kind of like, oh, all right, yeah. Doug's dead. <laughs> so, yeah, no, I mean, Shadow King, as he is dying, tries to blast Destiny and he jumps in front of Destiny, similar to how he died in New Mutants. And uh, yeah, well, because he dies. And then the next page is them saying, all right, now we're going to, <laughs> wait, wait, what does Irene say? Like the last panel. And I swear, all I hold holy, we will bring down the High Lord Apocalypse. And then to be concluded in X-Men Omega. So that's it. He dies and the issue ends in like one, two panels later. That's yeah. it. It's kind of like a rush, Dundee. I don't know. Again, 
it's 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 easy to play Monday morning quarterback. It's still like a good story. As far as I'm yeah. concerned, this was a solid story. I like it very much. I, I feel like I know which books I don't like in Age of Apocalypse, and I know which ones I do like. I I remember liking this one going into this because I read I reread Age of Apocalypse like two or three years ago. Like I read the entire thing. Definitely pre-pandemic in my old apartment. So I want to say it was probably like 2017 or 2018. I reread the entire thing. And I remember thinking, okay, Excalibur was a solid story. But I never, I read it in the way that it was kind of like anthologized. I never read all four issues back to back. I acknowledge there are some shortcomings when you read it back to back, but also it is a tight story. I mean, the book is focused. It has a goal. The characters are interesting. If you're reading the X books and you're familiar with these characters, it's interesting to see that flip in their personalities, especially Kurt. So I I like it. I like it a lot. I think it's too small in scale, as I said earlier in this episode. But I think that's fine. It's it gets the job done and it 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 sets up X Men Omega. I agree with you. It reads. um, I think all of the series read much better when you read them, um, like the issues consecutively, rather than doing like how it's presented in like the omnibus or stuff, where it it'll go like. Excalibur one, then like Gambit and the Externals one, and et cetera, et cetera. Just like do like one, two, three, four, because the stories don't interact with each other really. So no, you're not like getting anything extra. This is after um, Generation Next. This is my favorite of the books. Uh, like I said, I love Age of Apocalypse Kurt. I love this take on him. And it was really fun to reread it and just like actually like analyze like the different aspects of it. Um, I enjoyed it. We have Destiny who is ready to face off against Apocalypse and the Age of Apocalypse is well underway here. Boom. Scott, where can the folks at home find you? You can find me on Twitter or Instagram at uh, Mr. Scott Free. I'm around. I, you know what? I, I think I'm getting a little better at Twitter this week or this last week. I've been good with Twitter just because I have hadn't had anything else to do because <laughs> I, I have the week off. But I can foresee next week. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna be good at Twitter. But we are on Instagram. We're very active on Instagram. We're at Power of X Men. We're very close to having 15K community members. So once we hit, you know, that milestone, I want to do sort of like a giveaway. You know, I always thought like years ago, I was like, wow, if I ever hit like 15, I'll give away like a Nintendo Switch or something like that. And now I'm like, "Mm, no, Papa's got a mortgage to pay. So that ain't going to happen. But um, yeah, DM us your thoughts and we'll be back with another coverage of the Age of Apocalypse books. I think we're going to be doing this, as we said earlier on, issues one through four, just so it's inclusive and you have them all there and you can analyze them and read along very easily and compactly. All right. We'll see you guys next week. We'll see you. Well, thanks, sugar. The age of apocalypse is now over and we'll see you next time. The age of apocalypse is over for now. <laughs> <laughs>